Hey there, listeners. It's Chris coming to you here before this week's episode to talk about something exciting we have coming for you. We're going to be doing our first ever mailbag episode. Hooray. Yay, it's very exciting. But we'll be taking questions from you guys, whether it's on the current Oscar race, previous Oscar races, this had Oscar bus titles, or anything in pop culture you want to hear us talk about. Um, from now through the end of August, please send us your questions, and we'll hopefully be able to cover them all on a special episode that'll be coming to you while we're away at TIFF. So now through the next month, send your questions for me and Joe to either our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz or send us an email to had Oscar buzz at gmail.com. We are so excited to do this episode and we are really excited to hear from you guys and we look forward to your questions. So, uh, yes, once again, send us our, your questions to had underscore Oscar underscore buzz or had Oscar buzz at gmail.com. But now on to the episode. No, the right house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. involved was at 737. She went to Miami today. I need to find out what plane she was on. If Peyton's traveling, I don't think it's for the store. Are you saying she, she lied to me? We got a guy who thinks his wife was on 437 traveling with another man. 3A and B, Mr. and Mrs. Colin Chandler. Are you ready for this? Mrs. Chandler is a congresswoman. K. Spencer Chandler. In a perfect world, they would have never met. My name is Bill Vandenbrock. What is this about? My wife was on that plane, but your husband was not. Are you investigating something? They were sitting together. 3A and B, your husband, my wife. Do you know that? Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast introduced to you by a screaming Terrence Trent Darby. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, swimming in a pool all sexy-like with my co-host, Joe Reed. Hello, Chris. Hello, Joseph. It's fucking hot today, I will it, say. That doesn't have anything to, to do summer, with the movie. To be honest. It doesn't have anything to do with the movie. It's just... Oh, if it's hot, hot, it has absolutely nothing to do with the movie. Right, especially this movie. Correct. No. Especially this very non-sexy, sexy movie. Right. Definitely very true. No, it's, I'm just sort I, of melting. I, I, too, am melting. I am a winter creature by nature. Very much so. I Same. do not like the summer. Swaddle me in blankets to, like, warm me up from the chill, but, like, there is nothing I can do about my sweaty ass, like, being too hot. Uh, I mean, like, I will take a little bit of being, like, too overheated because, like, I was chilled to the frosty, like, crusty bone by this movie that we are talking about today. You are very, very quick to bring us back to Random Hearts, and I really don't want to talk about Random Hearts. I keep calling it Kingdom Hearts, even though I don't play that game. Is it a game, Kingdom Hearts? I am not the person to ask about video games. Yeah, Nothing makes me feel older, faster than video games. Yeah, it's one of, of those any things nature. that seems to be ever-present around me, and yet I'm so 
bad. Like, even, like, I always sort of joke that I'm, like, out of the loop on pop music. But, like, I'm aware of pop music and, like, the ins and outs of it or whatever. And if there's a trivia question on something about pop music, I'm usually pretty good. But, like, whenever trivia's, like, next round will be about video games, I'm like, well, that's it. I had a good run. I My video, like, my gaming, like expertise goes as far as like i am basically your proverbial aunt forever requesting you to be her friend on bejeweled like that (laughs) i know my knowledge i still have candy crush on my phone like that's sort of where i'm at my actual video game like experience literally i had a sega genesis i played like three games on i played like sonic and mortal kombat and the Aladdin video game. A-B-B-A-A-B-B-A! Oh, yeah, well, that's Nintendo. Like, that's... No, 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 no. That was the Aladdin cheat code that you could skip levels. Oh, you're right. You're right. I'm wrong. The Aladdin video game was hot. That was really good. They should have made a movie adaptation of that instead of whatever the hell they made this summer. Um, And then I bought a GameCube just so I could play Mario Kart Double Dash, and that has been the extent of my video game experience since ever. Yeah, I mean, we ha- also had a um, uh, we had a Super Nintendo, so like Donkey Ooh. Kong Country. See, that's I had yeah. a regular Nintendo. And we then were we jumped, rich. We were not rich. We brand jumped to Sega Genesis and like skipped the Super Nintendo. But like original Nintendo, yes, Mario Brothers, Legend of Zelda, Mike Tyson's Punch Out, Contra. A lot of boys. We had. Games. Were, do you remember Tiny Toons? We had a Tiny Toons game. I remember that being a, a fairly popular game. The Tiny Toons. It game. was good. Yeah. Man. I also had a Batman Returns game on Super Nintendo. That was the hardest video game I've ever played in my life. <laughs> nice. Because like you only had one life, but you had to kill like Catwoman in multiple lives. It was very difficult. Oh, very very difficult. I can see that. Well, I'm glad we all have this information at our ready when we're talking about Kingdom Hearts the movie. The 1999 film starring Kristen Scott Thomas. Also known Ford. as Random Hearts. Also known as Random Hearts. What a bad title. I understand that this is this was the title of the novel as well. Genuinely, though, everything else about this movie is random. Why not the hearts? Right. No, it's true. This Also, the fact that this is the same author who wrote The War of the Roses, which is another story that's grim. Like, the thing about Random Hearts is... My thing with this movie is, I don't know why anybody would want to watch it. It's about a terrible... It basically asks, like, what would happen if this terrible set of coincidences and circumstances happened? And then what happens is basically what you think it is, which is, like, everybody's really fucking sad about it. And, like, maybe they have (laughs) grief sex once or twice, but, like, it's mostly just a real bummer. A grief dry hump in a car. Yeah, it's just... And it's, it's not nearly... I mean, we've seen movies about people sort of going through it, right? Like, the ice storm is not a happy-go-lucky time. But it does something with the story. And, like, so... This does genuinely zero. It's very much like the concept of this movie is what if infidelity. Right. But, like, what if cops and what if politics? Well, and also, like, The War of the Roses, the premise of that is basically, like, a marriage ends acrimoniously. And it's like, okay. But that movie has a lot of fun with that premise and goes really sort of, like, darkly humorous. And obviously, like, that's Danny DeVito's thing. And Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas are so good together. And, like, but there had to have been a way to make Random Hearts more interesting than it is, or else just don't make it. Because 
I don't I don't know why. I don't know why this I mean, exists. we'll get into it and especially like this is very very much like the type of thing that has Oscar buzz simply because of the people that are attached oh, to it. Yeah. And like it had a legacy of people of very famous like Oscar buzzy people trying to get this movie made as well. This had been trying to get made since 1984, like 15 years it, in the making, and this is what yeah. it ended up as. But it also it plays exactly like the type of movie that people wanted to get made 15 years ago, right. and like taste change, like I don't know, sexual politics change, like yeah. I definitely want to talk about Sidney Pollock too because it's very fascinating to me that this is a Sidney Pollock movie. But before we get into it, once again, we are talking about Random Hearts, directed by Sidney Pollack, written by Daryl Ponickson, um, from, as you mentioned, the Warren Adler uh, novel. Um, it stars Harrison Ford and his earring. We're going to talk about it. Yes, we are. Um, Kristen Scott Thomas, Bonnie Hunt, um, and then, like, just a slew of everyone who is We're going to talk about that, too. Like, trust me, like, that's my, all that's my these, main like, note. <laughs> Uh, the movie opened in early October and immediately died. Um, I think what it was opening around kind of played into why it died, considering what this movie is. I want to talk about that, too, but we'll get into it. Before we get into it, we should unpack the movie. And, Joseph, would you like to do that by giving us a 60-second plot description? Sure. Why not? All right. If you are ready, I will start the timer. All right. I'm ready. Joseph, your 60-second plot description for Random Hearts starts now. All right, so Harrison Ford plays a internal affairs cop in D.C. named Dutch Vandenbroek, and he's investigating a crooked cop uh, played by Dennis Haysbert. At the same time, Kristen Scott Thomas is a congresswoman from New Hampshire who is running for re-election, and uh, both of their spouses, her husband is Peter Coyote, his wife is Susanna Thompson, they are both on a flight bound for Miami that crashes, and they both die in the Chesapeake. And they had lied to both of their respective spouses about where they were going. So when Harrison Ford seconds. looks into it, he finds out pretty quickly that um, his wife and Kristen Scott Thomas's husband were having an affair with each other. And so they investigate this. Ford becomes very obsessed with the idea of these people, ha- these two having a house or an apartment together. And so he seeks that out. And during this whole sort of unpleasant search for the truth about this infidelity, Ten he and Kristen Scott Thomas have an affair and it's grim and sad and she loses her bid for re-election and he gets shot in the leg and nobody is happy and it's a bummer and time i got most of the major stuff in right you really did like one of the better jobs on a 60 second plot description because that's truly like i didn't get hung up i will tell you what i did not get hung up on the fact that she is a congresswoman from new hampshire and because it's new hampshire i kept getting confused as to whether she was running for president or not because they kept talking about having to go back to new hampshire and how such and such is playing in new hampshire and when you see that you're usually hearing about that in the in the guise of like the primaries right so like mm-hmm. and i didn't understand why she had to hire this like top of the game uh strategist like media strategist played by sydney pollock if she's only running for re-election to Congress, which like re-election to Congress and is every happens every two years, and you just sort of like do it, and you rely on, and I get that like this time is different because she's having a challenger, and but it was it it felt very high stakes for what was ultimately like a seat in the in the House out of New Hampshire. And, like, it's also doubly confusing because, like, the personal side of her political life, like, it's 
she's just like walking around places. Like if you are right. a even a senatorial candidate, you aren't just like not having a bodyguard staff. You're not just like having lunch at some like mall restaurant with Bonnie Hunt. Like well, but she's not that. though. She's not a senator. She's just a congresswoman. And like maybe it's sort of skewed by like the fact that like I've like my parents have like known con- like some of our congress people in in sure. Buffalo or like my sister's like best friend's dad is our congressman in Buffalo and it's just sort of like maybe it like demystifies it a little bit where it's just like yeah they're like just people like they're not even every once in a while you'll get a congressperson who's like important on a national scale like Nancy Pelosi or like how Newt Gingrich was or whatever but like but to the scale of like what the movie is doing like yes. you mentioned the like how high stakes it seems like it's like if this is so high stakes why is she just chilling in a park that is true. Well, yeah, the, it's the very movie strange. has a problem with stakes for sure. Where you know how what are what are the stakes of her reelection? And then the flip side of that is like Harrison Ford is going through this like uh, internal affairs existential crisis. Well, yes, but also like his little subplot is he's going through this internal affairs sting, essentially trying to like get Dennis Haysbert. And Dennis Haysbert is a dirty cop, but they sort of play him like he's a drug kingpin. <laughs> Yeah. And it's very, like, he's sort of, like, making threatening phone calls and, like, parking, like, holding up at this, like, bowling alley. And, like, it's his little, like, you know, the wire fiefdom or whatever. And all of that stuff, by the way. Harrison is- Ford also, like, that character only makes sense if it's played by Car- Harrison Ford. And it's only, like, a protagonist if it's played by Harrison Ford because he's maybe psychotic and, like... It has some type of like break where suddenly like he's essentially stalking Kristen Scott Thomas. Oh yeah, it's fully and like she does not interested in a relationship with him, and he like basically badgers her into like having like uh, this emotional connection and then a sexual relationship, and it's always creepy. Yeah, and- because like he's crossing the line, and like what was okay? We got to talk about this whole department store sequence when he's trying to, which goes like, on forever, <laughs> forever. He goes to a department store to like track down why his like the, the wife leaves a I voicemail message. So the wife leaves a voicemail message for him that says she's going to Miami for a photo for a photo shoot for this department store. This sort of like Saks esque department store she works for yes. and it's like he has a breakdown in bloomingdale basically with, yeah like these sales associates who one of the like a million famous faces is played by one of those sales associates remind me who brooks it was smith. i can't remember it's brooks yes it was brooks smith she's in a lot of pain mister she needs a bet she broke her leg on the way down i know it. she's been licking hey, it don't you hurt my dog don't you make me hurt your dog and you don't know what pain is but also, the first woman he goes to, who is like, hold on a second, I gotta finish this sale, um, was on SVU for a while, and she was also on Another World for a while. And I can't remember her, the actress's name. I'm gonna go through the cast list, because it's really quite something. Um, but yeah, so he goes to, he can't find, he gets the voicemail, and the wife's going to Miami, and he gets scared because he knows about this plane that went into the into the river, or into the bay, 
and he calls the airline and they don't have any record of any woman with her name and but they can't find her name on any of the other flights to Miami either so he goes to the place of work and he's like hey where how'd she fly what what was her travel plan get me your um uh whatever your person who makes the travel arrangements who ends up being played by Reiko Ellsworth from 24 but we don't see her till later and he just sort of they keep like bringing out further and further other people who worked with his wife <laughs> yeah. until finally it's the like manager the whole is staff. like yeah somebody has to break it to him they're like your wife lied to you about going out on this business trip and that's when it starts to dawn on him Michelle Hurd that's who the woman is who plays the other uh, salesperson Michelle Hurd um but that scene goes on forever, and you keep expecting that there's a bombshell that's going to like come of that, and it really isn't. It's just this slow realization. Yeah, in the sensible separate section. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. So that takes up a lot of time, but that's fine because like every all the time they spend apart is actually better than the time they spend together, and I was trying to figure out what it is about their scenes together. I don't think they have great chemistry, but I don't think that's all of it because I think they're playing two people who are resistant to each other for a good bit. But yeah. he's playing very intense and she is playing not very intense. Yeah. In a... Like one foot out the door of the movie yeah. itself. Like I love I Kristen adore Scott Kristen Thomas. Scott Tom. Yes. I just I, saw her, I love her in, too. in that one episode of Fleabag, which like in Ugh. four minutes she had more charisma than she does in two hours and twelve minutes, by the way. Of this is safely the worst performance I've seen from her. Yeah. And it's fully just because she's not trying. It's it's it a bad like. performance. It's a little The movie does bad not give her much to work with. I will say that. So it's not necessarily her fault if she's just not into but it. I've but I've seen like, her excel in a movie called Confessions of a Shopaholic. Like it's not like she only needs top tier material to do well. She I've seen her spin straw into gold before and she's just like for whatever reason not into it whether it was, you know, she and Ford didn't, you know, click or her and Pollock or she was just like you know, not not connecting with this character, or I don't know. The, I think this is also maybe a case where an American accent robs a a British actress of a lot of her charm, distinction. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know, but like, yeah, she's really bad in this, and incredibly excited to see her, Mrs. Danvers, and the Rebecca remake. Oh, ex- incredibly excited to see whatever else she's doing. She's great. Like, this is not indicative of my feelings towards. Kristen Scott Thomas at all. But she was a very big part of, I think, why this movie had Oscar buzz. Beyond the fact that it is Sidney Pollack, who had already won Best Director in the 80s for Out of Africa. And, once... and like, was one of probably the most prominent Hollywood figures that it's like anything he could be attached to, you could possibly expect for some type of Oscar buzz. He was a major producer on a lot of things. His... I would say Sidney Pollack is one of the reasons that the reader got that Best Picture nomination ultimately because it oh, was yeah, his last project before passing away. And I know that was part of the campaign yeah. for the movie. And it was like, you get to honor Sidney Pollock when you honor this movie. It's interesting to look at the few films he made before this because before Random Hearts, he directed Sabrina, which was kind of a bust as well. Like I think that also with Harrison Ford. Um, that movie, I think, had a lot of expectations on it as a remake of an Audrey Hepburn movie. And, you know, they were going to make a star out of Julia Ormond. And I think there were, like, big, big um, hopes for that movie. And they ultimately were not realized. But before that, 
It was the firm, which was a lot of there were a lot of eyeballs on that because that book was such a you know smash. Mm-hmm. And I think the firm kind of overachieved with Oscar, where that's not necessarily a genre that the nine early nineties Oscars were going to go for. The early nineties Oscars, which were very impressed with British period pieces and um you know, that they had more of a flirtation list. with Jean Grisham than like the paperback sensations, uh, like since that Oscar. Right, like, but it, but it always did over. feel like those movies had to claw for every little bit of recognition that they got, and I think that's yes. why like that Holly Hunter nomination for the firm was such a you know pleasant surprise for some. But like before that was Havana, which was also kind of a a bust Oscar wise. And those were the only movies he had made since Out of Africa. He hadn't really worked often. He worked, you know, steadily. I don't think he was ever, like, lacking for a project. But, mm-hmm. and then the only movies... And he was a major producer as well, so, like... Right, that's the thing. He did mostly... His, his hands were in all pocket. Like, and right. he was always playing, like, the role that he plays in Random Hearts. He was always playing those roles in movies. Yes. Which is why... like, he has three scenes and he is, like... You know, yeah. a fixer of some kind. Oh, easily his most notable thing that he did in 1999 was uh, acting in Eyes Wide Shut. Like, that, I yes. feel like, is much, much more the thing he's remembered for in 99. And then executive producing The Talented Mr. Ripley, which, you know, as the years go by, that movie goes higher and higher on my list of, like, mm-hmm. 1999 movies. And 1999, the sort of, like, much lauded year, as we're, you know, celebrating the 20th anniversary of all of those movies. Um, Talented Mr. Ripley, I think, holds up better than almost any movie that year. We'll talk about the Best Picture list and that Oscar year in a second. Um, but I just wanted to like mention that like it's it's odd to me the movies that Sidney Pollack just chose to direct as opposed to just produce, right? Like I don't mm-hmm. know what it is about Random Hearts, other than the fact that like everybody had been trying to make it, so maybe there was like a competitive thing. Uh, Or like a studio thing that for whatever reason this had been designated a major project that we only take to our major directors. Right. Because the director who it was attached to before him was James L. Brooks. Right. Who was going to make it with Costner. I want to see that movie. Or were those two separate? James L. Brooks was going to make it with Dustin Hoffman. And then Costner was going to make it separate or or the other way around. It was Costner. Right. And so, yes. So at some other point, Dustin Hoffman had wanted to make it. And that also went by the wayside. But then after this, it's The Interpreter, which is, like, kind of his last regular feature film, right? Because he directs a documentary or a concert movie Mm -hmm. or something like that. But I think The Interpreter is Pollock's last sort of regular feature. His directorial, like, yeah, his... And, like, I don't understand. I don't understand why, you know, why The Interpreter, why Random Hearts. But... I don't know. He's one of those directors who's who's pres like I think a lot of people tend to a lot of auteurists especially sort of tend to brush Pollock aside a little bit because he doesn't have such a distinct directorial stamp or signature. Mm-hmm. And yet his filmography as a director and a producer does, you know, hold up i mean it's got like three days of the condor and absence of malice and you know tootsie, tootsie like that's a big one and like obviously out of africa is the big oscar play but like his his place in hollywood lore is i mean they, they shoot horses don't they it was him and mm-hmm. 
the way we were was him. So there's, there's, you know, it's not there's wrong. a range, but it's more so that he's like associated with studio like polish and competency in a way that it's like I I think they there's a vision for the certain type of movie that Random Hearts could be. It could be like a three days of the condor type like psychological If there was ever thriller, intrigue in the movie. Yeah. That's yeah. I, if it was a better script at all. That it's like it's the type of movie that you give to a Sidney Pollock and it like achieves a certain stature just by his name being attached to and it. And I think just as a genre, like I want in in very general terms, I want I want us to be in a place where a romantic drama can succeed. And oh, yeah. I just don't know how this particular one does because I don't think there's enough in the story to grab onto. If this if you told somebody the the bare bones of the story of, you know, these two people who found out that their spouses died on an airplane and were having an affair with each other you would sort of listen to that and just be like wow that sucks and i don't think you would follow up with like (laughs) what did they do about it because there's nothing to do about it she met like Kristen scott thomas says this several times she's like what is there to do about it they're dead they're not we can't even divorce them she says at one point and but at the same time i feel like you have that premise and it should at least be a like competent movie yeah that this movie is not, you know, like you, you have a certain expectation of what this movie will be going into it based on what the premise is. And it falls short in every single imaginable way. Yeah. It's just not a very, I mean, fun is the wrong way to say it, but it's just not a very interesting movie to watch. It's not engaging. And like, I'm one of those people that I'm like, at least give us like, I, I'm someone who wants more sex thrillers. And like, this doesn't even satisfy that. No, Sex scenes are creepy. This movie is never sexy. Like it it confuses people that it is sexy because Harrison Ford is still like seen as one of the most attractive men. Easily. The best thing about this movie is spotting the character actors, because as you started to mention, when you were going through the list of actors in this movie, it's the first note I have when I'm making notes, and it's literally in quick succession, in like literally the span of two minutes in this movie, you see Richard Jenkins. It's whiplash. Richard Jenkins playing um, her closest advisor, essentially. Esapatha Merkerson playing a prosecutor, defense attorney. For one scene. For one scene, an attorney questioning Harrison Ford's character on the, on the witness stand. And then you see Edie Falco shows up as uh, <laughs> one scene for one scene as one of her one of the other cops not even like his partner like charles s dutton was another character actor plays and there's for its partner but like she shows up there to just like bounce some idea off of him or whatever and then it goes from there dennis haysbert is the and dirty the- cop brooke smith is at you know fake sacks Lynn Thigpen plays one of the Lynn Thigpen and gay icon Lynn Thigpen of who where in the world is Carmen indeed Sandy indeed ready gumshoes because we're gonna figure out this really boring case together. It's her and Paul Guilfoyle who I always remember from stuff like, um, uh, the Negotiator or he's in a he's one of the he's one of the drug dealers uh, in Three Men and a Baby who take the baby. That's what that's mostly what I remember. Yes. Him for. 
But he's also in a bajillion things. And then by the time Bonnie Hunt shows up in this very long shot where all of a sudden you see her, she's playing like besties with Christian Scott Thomas. And we later find out she had also been having an affair with the husband who is played by Peter Coyote. Another like another one of these like die. Right. Peter Coyote and then Susanna Thompson, who I had mentioned when I when I did the 62nd, who I only know of as she's in other things, but I only mostly know her as the queen in Kings. Did you ever watch Kings with Ian McShane and Sebastian Stan? Ugh, short lived NBC series Kings, where it was literally like speculative future uh, America based on um, the biblical story of David. And, like, the kingdom of, like, whatever this country is that is America, the throne room and sort of everything is the the Time Warner Center. (laughs) Which is, like, sounds stupid, but it's, like, it's a really, really good show. And anyway, Susanna Thompson was Ian McShane's wife, the queen in in Kings. Um, Ooh, Ian McShane, I am not watching it. But Oh, I love Ian McShane. Well, we'll agree to disagree on that one. But so there's this incredibly long shot of them walking down this sort of, uh, you know, some avenue in dc and Mm -hmm. but you hear her immediately and i'm just like motherfucker it's bonnie hunt i was like which is like (laughs) she's the quintessential 90s character actress who you get for exactly this role which is best friend like straight talking she had just been in jerry Maguire a couple years ago and so then it's i mentioned charles s dutton kate mara plays the daughter plays the daughter which made me wonder like how long was kate mara 15 years old oh for a long time well i also like for a decade well but also it's that but it's i could i conflate her her young self with jenny lewis's young self so much that it does sort of seem like she was 15 years old for 20 years there because for the first half of it it's jenny lewis that i remember and then it's kate mara and but yeah she played she played those kind of roles for a very long time um and then dylan baker shows up as bonnie hunt's husband and it's just like holy shit like they really did get every single character actor not to mention Sidney pollock himself as i said as the the campaign consultant and that was the most fun for me, was sort of picking out all of these. They really sort of broke the piggy bank and let <laughs> let them all come falling out. It was great. These character actors that are fully, like, doing, like, great journeyman actor performances that, like, and then you have these headliners that are just, like, flailing, kind of. Yeah. I think even Harrison Ford is genuinely bad in this in a way that he's not he's genuinely like, bad but he's, talk about. he's bad in a way that uh, that is different than the bad he sometimes is which is underplaying bad like low-key bad and you can't he can't sort of be bothered to you know rouse himself kind of bad this yeah, is yeah like he he does not care most of the time but like this is he's he's on a high key here he's just not good yeah yeah. But I don't know if this movie gives people room to be that good either. I don't know. I, I I come down sort of halfway here, where I think the movie is not good, but I also feel like actively the leads are not giving good performances. So, I don't know. I think this is one of the worst movies we've ever talked about in a way that, like, I don't understand why the movie even exists. Right. Like, most of even the bad things we've talked about, like Stonewall right. and Meet Joe Black, I get why the it's movie It's not spectacularly exists, like, bad, and I will watch spectacularly bad much more readily than I will watch disinterestedly bad. And this just, there's nothing to grab onto in this movie. 
this, it's like, who was not, like, checking in with this movie and being like, hey, guys, maybe we need a little zhuzh here. Like, right. this is, like, it's like everything, everyone snoozed through the movie, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. It's rough, but I gotta he, say. But the interesting thing, I think, at least my memory of this movie, was that it was sold almost essentially, aside from the star power of it, as a sex thriller that was going to be oh, interesting. a very, like, it, like I remember the, like, dry hump car scene, like, being one of the things that was asked about in interviews for this movie, that huh. it was supposed to be this passionate scene, like, with pathos, whatever. Right. And, and, I mean, I think any movie, especially around this time, that had Harrison Ford, it was like he was, like, one of the sexy leading men so like it kind of carried that connotation anyway but one thing i want to get into since we've kind of already discussed why we don't like the movie or like discuss the movie at like right is one of the things that made us think it had oscar buzz was it covered the um entertainment weekly fall movie preview it did, it did. It did in very sexy fashion with Harrison Ford and Kristen Scott Thomas in a pool, yep. wet. I remember that and cover for sure. In close embrace. <sighs> yeah, yeah, that it's a, it was one of the more iconic fall movie preview uh, covers. I, which, I remember like, it very it clearly. Can be a little lazy, and I it, it did it did. You're right. It did give definitely the sense because this was not a movie that was expected to make a ton of money. This wasn't like a box office play. So it would only be on the cover of the EW Fall Preview if they really thought it was going to be a big hit with Oscar. and mm, If it was going to be a thing. Yes. And you can see why, because I remember the 96 Oscars when, when Francis McDormand won for Fargo, which was not a surprise, but because The English Patient was such a sort of semi-sweeper where it won almost everything it was nominated for and one of the few thing one of the few categories it lost in was best actress and there was a sense that like Kristen Scott Thomas isn't winning this one but like keep an eye on her cuz she'll you know she's not going anywhere and now all of a sudden that she's crossed over into the American marketplace like maybe she'll win on her next one or or one of the the next few that she does and i think a lot of people looked to this movie and were like here here is where kristen scott thomas you know gets paid not to mention harrison ford who like it is always surprising to me and i think to a lot of How people few when they he has one yeah. he only has for, for witness. witness and it's like if he feels like exactly the type of person ready for an overdue narrative again he's the type of actor who really just like does not care yeah um so that's i think part of the problem but like even when the force awakens happened there were those murmurs of like oh could maybe if this can actually register with oscar could harrison ford be nominated but I think like that was part of Random Hearts as well. It always bums me out that he never got nominated for The Fugitive in 93, even though if you look at that category, it's a really f- crowded category. Hanks for Philadelphia, Liam Neeson for Schindler's List, Daniel Day-Lewis for In the Name of the Father. Um, Wait, remind me who the other two were. Look that up. 93. Da-da-da-da-da. Oh, Lawrence Fishburne for What's Love Got to Do With It, who is great. Hell yeah. And let's see if I can get it before you look it up. Um, I keep thinking of people from like 92, like Robert Downey Jr. for Chaplin, but that's not it. Um, 
Are you sure what's love got to do with it? Is that year? I think yeah it earlier. No, because Angela Bassett lost to to Holly Hunter for the piano. Yes, you are correct. Um, uh, you are forgetting Anthony Hopkins, The Remains of the Day. Right, of course. Yeah, so that's a really stacked category. So you can see why Ford doesn't make it in for The Fugitive because The Fugitive is much more loved for its production value and then also Tommy Lee Jones, who is giving the much bigger performance in that movie. But he's so solid and so good, and I think The Fugitive, that is a movie that gets better every time I see it. And The shame of Harrison Ford not being nominated for that movie, while like Oscar kind of sucks at like acknowledging this for a certain type of performer like Harrison Ford, is that it is the quintessential like yep. Harrison Ford performance. Yep. It's what we think of when we love Harrison Ford. Exactly. Though, I mean, Witness is still a really good nomination. Oh, He's incredible yeah. in Witness. Yes, absolutely. Wait, so talk to me about the EW uh, Fall Preview. Yes, because um, in tradition that we like to do, I have a pop quiz for you. Very excited for this. You, as we have done in the past with other fall movie previews, you are going to guess the floating heads on the top bar of the fall movie preview above the literal floating heads of Chris and Scott Thomas and Harrison Ford floating in a pool. Right. Um, this is a little trickier of an issue because it doesn't actually say the movie titles like they did in 2003. It says the actual performer. However, if you can guess the movie that the performer might have been on there for you, I will at least steer you in the direction of the performer. Okay, are they photos of people from the movie or are they like just studio shots they are studio shots i don't like when they do that i like it much better when they put them in stills from the movie okay i imagine there is one picture on here it is the last one that is fully not like let's take a headshot of this performer it is like this performer (laughs) mid speaking in an interview and it is not wise i imagine one of these is ripley and it's either matt damon or gwyneth paltrow but i'm not sure which Yes? It's Matt Damon. It's Matt Damon. It's Matt Damon. Okay. All right. That puts me somewhat at ease. Um, I don't know where the buzz was on American Beauty yet, so I don't want to guess one of those. When we get into 99, I have very random heartsy perspective on American Beauty. Oh, yeah. Like, that, that's that's coming up. Um, Sixth Sense had already happened... All the big box office ones had kind of already happened. Is one of them, um, are they all people, or is one of them an animated character? They are all people. Oh, wait, one of them is Stuart Little. Right? No. Damn it. No Stuart Little. I remember an EW issue where Stuart Little, the little mouse, was like one of the... One of the things. I could be wrong. Was that 99, though? It might not have been. It might have I been I feel like Stuart Little was like 2000. Oh, I, I thought the earlier. Okay. Um, is one of them Hanks for the Green Mile? Yes, and also Toy Story 2. Right. So Tom Hanks, Matt Damon, you are missing three people slash movies. Right, right. How many of them I are Oscar movies? I will at least movies? steer you in the direction that um, they are all women. Okay. Are they all Oscar plays, or is one of them just like... One of them is decidedly not an Oscar play. There is one person on here that is very tricky. Um, I think their movie was pushed, but they had also had a hit movie um, earlier in the year, and I think there is 
really another reason that this performer is on the top bar, and that is to sell magazines. Julia Roberts. No. Damn it. Um... Two of these are very difficult. So I will say there is one person on here that, yes, it was probably an Oscar thing, but they were in another movie. They were in another movie. Had, that had already been hint, that could... had already been released. Yes, Eyes Wide Shut. No, Eyes Wide Shut. Well, that, yeah, that was a summer movie. Yeah. No, it's not Eyes Wide Shut. Okay. There's a big hint I could give you about well, this person me, that me, I'm not ready to trying. give you. Is one of them yeah, Jodie not... Foster for Anna and the King? No. Damn it. We got to talk about Anna and the King sometime. Do we? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because it's a nominee. It's a nominee. And the Angelina Jolie buzz wouldn't have started by this point, would it have? I think it had. But is she one of them? No. <laughs> All right. Um, three women. Did any of them actually Let... get a nomination? No. No. None of the people on the top bar got a nomination. Matt Damon was definitely the closest. Okay. All right. This... I will give you this hint. Okay. Catherine Zeta-Jones for The Haunting. I wish. <laughs> um, I, I like The Haunting. Whenever I see, like, The Haunting is terrible, I'm like, yeah, but you're, you, if you call that, <laughs> if you're saying that that movie is terrible, you don't get it. You don't get the point. Um, no. Um, okay. This is the big hint. It is a performer on, we did an episode for this movie and talked about this performer. Oh. Anywhere but here? Yes. Susan? Natalie, no. oh, of course, because uh, uh, Star, Wars. Star Wars was that year, of course. Okay. All right, these last two are very, very hard. One of the performers, like I said, there is another reason why they are on this cover. They had a hit movie that year that they weren't one of the two headliners, but like I remember this performer being the best thing about this movie. Mm. Um, and then was in another movie that was, I believe, pushed to early 2000 and was very critically reviled. Oh, but, like, thought it could maybe be an Oscar thing for a hot second before it was immediately pushed. They were in a hit movie, like a like a financial hit movie, where they yes. were not... in the spring. She. I, we can say she because we know it's a woman. She, yes. Um, Was the movie good? Or was this... Was she, like, the... At the time, we thought this movie was. movie was good, but now I think we would maybe eye-roll this movie. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, 99... The 99 movies. She's third build. Cameron Diaz? No. Hmm. I I will say the reason that this performer was on what that like, if you're trying to sell magazines with this performer, it's not for their film work. It's for their music work? Or their television work. Television work. In 1999. Sarah Jessica Parker? No. Mm. Friends. Yes. Lisa Kudrow. Yes. What was the project that got pushed? I'm guessing she was on there for Hanging Up. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. But Analyze That was in the spring. No, Analyze This. Analyze This, whatever. Um, And the last performer is fully, absolutely... Like it warms it 
it heals something in me to see this performer on this top bar of performers. But, like, this was 1,000% not an Oscar movie. This movie bombed. Like, people would probably call this movie problematic as fuck. I saw it twice in the theaters. Like, at the time, I loved this movie. I don't know if I could stand by it. The other sister. This was a performer... No. Um, This was a performer known for a different genre than what this movie was. Um... Oh, younger or older actress? Younger actress. Hmm. Still working steadily today? No, not really. Um. Yes, but like not. They they had a uh, recurring role on a show we don't like that she actually did really well on. And that was probably the most prominent thing we've seen from her in a long time. On a show we don't like. Outside of the franchise that we knew her for. We knew her for a movie franchise. Yes. And we're not still talking about In a different genre than what Natalie this movie Portman. was. Um, no. <laughs> in a different genre. So it was sci-fi instead of what she was normally good at. It was comedy no. instead of what she was It was comedy. At. It was She was in a comedy. She was in a comedy, but normally she was in dramas. No. In like a funny comedy or like a Independent Spirit Awards comedy? Uh, in a studio comedy that bombed. Huh, and you don't think you could stand by it today? I don't. I think if this movie was released today, people would have a field day with it. Hmm. There's a tangential connection between this movie and one of the other performers on the top. One of the other performers on the top. Hmm. Matt Damon. Is one of their co-stars, not Matt Damon. Natalie Portman. No. Other people I've mentioned that I now can't remember. Tom Hanks. <laughs> Tom Hanks and Lisa Kudrow. No, not Tom Hanks. Her co-star was connected to a co-star of Lisa, of Lisa Kudrow. In Analyze This. No. Oh my god. <laughs> Why is this so hard for me? This should not be this hard for me. This is fully, like, I, I stand this performer. I don't care. This is fully insane that she's on this cover. Oh my god. And the movie was a comedy that bombed. Like, really, really bombed? Yes, that is problematic. That is problematic. Starring a co-star of Lisa Kudrow. De Niro. No. Chris. Not not analyze this. A co-star Why from... did I say Lisa Kudrow is on the cover of this magazine? Oh, because of Hanging Up. A co-star of Diane no. Keaton. <laughs> no, because of Friends. Oh, well, you said Hanging Up. Um, Courtney Cox. No. Uh, Jennifer Aniston. No. Damn it. I was going to say the object of my affection. Um, Matt LeBlanc, uh, David Schwimmer. No. no. Um, <laughs> Matthew Perry. Yes, Matthew Perry. God. Salma Hayek. No. <laughs> Motherfucker. Okay, this person is known for a horror franchise. Dev Campbell. Yes, Nev Campbell. Jesus Christ. Nev Campbell, who I will always forever love because of the Scream franchise. And uh, most recently, she was on House of Cards. Nev Campbell was on the cover of the fall movie preview for Three to Tango. Why is Three to Tango problematic? Because he pretends to be gay to like get a job, but falls in love with his boss's girlfriend. I had no idea that was the plot of Three to Tango. Yeah. Who's the third one? Dylan McDermott? 
Dylan McDermott, yeah. Oliver Platt is Matthew Perry's co-worker who I if I remember correctly is actually gay, but they pretend wow. to be lovers together. Yeah, I don't think that movie would fly today. Never in a really million years would I thought that I would need to remember the plot of 3 to Tango for any reason whatsoever. Wow, Three I am bad at games, you guys. I used to be good at games. I don't know this what happened. This is fully probably the most difficult fall movie preview, so I commend you for getting there. Perhaps I didn't help you in the right yeah, way. Yeah, let's play this But yeah, the okay. fall movie preview, perhaps the most iconic fall movie preview, simply because of Harrison Ford and Kristen Scott Thomas in a pool. Oh. Can I talk about something, though? Because Please I'm staring do. at this issue right now, and I am seeing what is the right side of Harrison Ford's face. <laughs> and Random Hearts is so, like, almost demonstrably shot showing the left side of Harrison Ford's face and makes you stare at his earring for two hours and 13 minutes. So there's a trivia item in the IMDb trivia for Random Hearts that says that this is the only movie either to date or ever, I can't remember which one, that showed that allowed Harrison Ford to wear an earring like he does in real life, which I thought was so silly as a trivia item, first of all, that I'm just like, that is really weird that we think it's that important, whether that Harrison Ford's earring has become such a thing, even though it's true that like whenever you see him at award show, it's like, do you remember that Simpsons? I don't know how into the Simpsons you were when... um the episode where Bart wants to get an earring and Homer ends up going, somehow ends up on some sort of Crimson Tide situation, working on a ship, and, <laughs> like, has to remember that, like, oh, uh, an earring could could plug a pinhole leak. And he just, like, every once in a while just, like, imagines, uh, pictures Bart in his head, and the earring is, like, so prominent, and it's just, it's sparkling so sort of loudly at him. That's how I feel like whenever we see Harrison Ford on a red carpet, where it's just like sparkle, sparkle, with goddamn, with earring. the goddamn earring. No, like the trivia item on IMDb about the earring is utterly not surprising to me, having seen the movie. Like I was, I was watching this movie, slowly losing my mind, being like, was it in his contract that the earring had to get a certain amount of screen time? <laughs> because it is like shoving it at you, like you know when you see an eclipse and like you know you're not supposed to look directly at it because it might blind yeah. you, but like you're still tempted to do it. Like that was the experience with the earring in this movie for me. I I read that item though, and my initial thought was. Wait a second. He doesn't wear the earring in Six Days, Seven Nights? Because it would seem like that would fit that character. Because he's sort of this, like, island, like, you know, libertine or whatever. And then I went back and I watched the trailer for Six Days, Seven Nights. And it does not seem to be... He does not seem to be wearing an earring in that one. Which surprises me. But it also made me think... Is there a way we can just pretend that Six Days, Seven Nights had Oscar buzz so we could talk about that movie? Because I have. <laughs> I think that's like the we are the two like quintessential people that need to be talking about Six Days, Seven First Nights. First of all, because a, a, we stand. I Haish. love Anne Heche famously so. And I think she's so. And this is such an interesting movie at her point in her career because she had just come out as Ellen's girlfriend. I think this might have been the first movie. I think she had already been in Volcano. I think Volcano happened, then she came out as Ellen's girlfriend, and then I think this might have been the first movie of hers that happened after the fact. And it's such an odd... I think she's so good, and I honestly think she's really funny in that movie. I think that movie is better than what its reputation is. I think it really got killed by critics 
for a lot of different reasons. But I think a lot of people really wanted to read into that they didn't have any chemistry together. And I think there were also maybe stories right. about them not getting along on the set, which doesn't surprise me. But she's... Who does Harrison Ford get along with? Well, and also kind of, like, I can see Anne Heche not getting along with people, too. Um, right. But she's so... She's like a live wire in that movie, and she's really good. And there's... Um, <laughs> There's a part in the trailer. Go watch the trailer. First of all, it's one of those 90s trailers. And I'm one of these days I'm going to find a way to talk about the fact that the 90s had really terrible movie trailers. And that movie trailers oh got God. really good in the 2000s, like, almost all of a sudden. Like, I can't remember what the point of it was. But, like, trailers used to be really bad. And the music in the Six Days, Seven Nights trailer does not match the mood of either what the movie is or the footage that they put in the trailer. Like, it seems to be fighting against itself. Um, that movie is like whimsical and silly and dumb, but like fun. But um, at one point they had crashed the plane on the island near Tahiti and she's just sort of like haranguing him about like, why can't they get back and like fix it or whatever? And he just goes, oh, right, I'll glue the wing back on. And it's just like, I remember that being in yeah, every yeah, yeah. single commercial. And it's so... If you were half a pilot, we wouldn't be on this island. I'm the best pilot you're ever going to meet. Ah, I've flown with you twice. You've crashed half the time. Like, weirdly iconic and funny to me. And I don't know. I feel like we should all get back on, get back on board with Six Days, Seven Nights. Let's, let's res resuscitate it in... American popular culture. Let's make it happen. That's our that's our job in life. That's our job in life. Yes. So, do you want to talk about the 99 Oscars for a second? This movie did not Yeah, people are obsessed with 1999, so that's never a bad. We're thing. very much in a very 1999 kind of a place. It's no surprise that Random Hearts did not show up on the ballot at all anywhere. But it also I think even if it had been good or pretty good, this would have been a tough lineup to crack. I think you even look at like the Golden Globes because this would have obviously been you know nominated as drama. There is not a bit of mm -hmm. comedy in this, and like intentional comedy. Both actor and actress in a drama were four out of five matches for the Oscar list. So like best actress at the Globes in a drama that year, Hillary Swank, boys don't cry and that bending American beauty, which was like, that was the race. It was those two. And then Julianne Moore, the end of the affair who got an Oscar nomination, Meryl Streep from music of the heart who didn't, nobody thought would get an Oscar nomination, but like totally did. It was one of the like gratuitous Meryl Oscar nominations of all time. It's probably one of her like bottom five Oscar nominations of all of them. And yet I'm weirdly fond of that movie and fond of her in that movie. I'm not impressed, but like if that's a movie that's on television and I, you know, the remote's across the room, I won't get up and, and get the remote. I'll I just love that Meryl got nominated for a Wes Craven movie. For a Wes Craven movie where she co stars with Gloria Estefan. Yes, absolutely. A movie that was <laughs> once called Fifty Violins. <laughs> Music of the Heart, where the the, the 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 nominated song from it was performed by Gloria Estefan and InSync. And InSync. And written, I'm pretty you sure. taught me to run. And I think that was also a Diane Warren song, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I should know these more. But then, so rounding out that category was the not Oscar-nominated Sigourney Weaver for A Map of the World, which she's actually really good in that movie. And, you know... I'll stand up for that. That movie is never going to get nominated for an Oscar, though. It was too small. True. It is grim as fucking And hell. then the other side, actor in a drama, Denzel Washington wins for The Hurricane, beats out Kevin Spacey, who ends up winning the Oscar. Um, 
Russell Crowe for The Insider, who was like the solid third place critics darling that year, where like that was the year that Russell Crowe was elevated from, because he was in LA Confidential, but he wasn't nominated, nor ever really like campaigned all that hard for that movie, even though he's the lead, like he and Guy Pierce are so good in LA Confidential, and neither one of them got an Oscar push. That all sort of got put put onto Kim Basinger. Anyway, LA Confidential. Um, Richard Farnsworth for The Straight Story, the most unlikely David Lynch movie of all time. Um, and he was the sort of long, long-suffering actor. You know, he was old. He was sort of at the end of his life. I think he died not soon It was after. a posthumous nomination, wasn't it? Yes. No. No. Um, he died. Uh, he died shortly. He after. died uh, in October of 2000. So yeah, not not long after. Yeah. Because um, I do remember him being. Didn't he have one of those sort of bolero ties kind of thing at the Oscars, or am I misremembering? Anyway. Uh, uh, sure. And then the fifth nominee at the Globes that year in drama was Matt Damon for the talented Mr. Ripley, which I don't think any of us at the time thought that that would be the one that would get left off. I don't know if, I don't know who was placing bets on what, but Talented Mr. Ripley did very well at the Globes that year. It was a Best Picture nominee. It was a Best Director nominee. Um, Damon gets nominated alongside, obviously, Jude Law, who did get the the Oscar nomination. Didn't get a screenplay nomination, but, like, that's such an odd category at the Globes anyway because it's just the one category. Um, as I mentioned, I think Talented Mr. Ripley holds up so much better than... American Beauty certainly holds up better I mean, than The Green Mile. I'm trying to think of like the other the best picture nominees that year. Sixth Sense I think holds up. I think The Insider holds up. Um The Insider holds up really really well. I honestly think if they had given the Oscar to Russell Crowe for The Insider, it would have solved a lot of future Oscar problems. It would have if only we knew at the time. I think at the time he just wasn't famous enough. He was a yeah. he was the actor. And that movie was like the considered strangely kind of like the stodgier one because yes. everything else like people have an emotional connection to and the insider kind of became the also ran that like Well, it's that movie kind of died at the box office, yes. but it had at least like the prestige of Michael Mann and the actors in that movie like Al Pacino, like so it kind of took the placeholder of like you know, these are the famous name. These are the famous Oscar. It's names. a it's a fascinating Oscar tale for the insider because you're right. It gets picture. It gets the Michael Mann. Is it that Michael Mann's only Best Director nomination? Mm, I'm looking Thank it up, you. but I think that's possible. Um, and then obviously, uh, Crow is the critical darling and Best Actor that year, so he gets the nomination. And yet, it's odd to have a movie where Al Pacino is decidedly not the Oscar story, like. That he really was an actor, and he's very good in The Insider. But he's sort of doing his Pacino thing, and I think it was an it was a contrast that really helped Russell Crowe. Where like as Pacino's, you know, being big about it, and then you look at yeah. Crowe, and it's just like look at the control, look at the interiority. It's truly the best Russell Crowe performance. Like that would have actually been a really worthy yeah, best actor. Absolutely. Win. Um, and I still am upset kind of legitimately that Christopher Plummer didn't get nominated for playing Mike Wallace where yeah he's so good in that like I honestly think he should have won that year I think that he would have been my pick to win best supporting actor that year and maybe that you know causes some interesting ripples down the line for him all of a sudden then um 
you know. Maybe we wouldn't have had to have that last station nomination, though. That's what I mean. Yes. And, like, and I'm obviously, I'm a little bit more down on beginners than other people. So, like, I get it. We're, like, not everybody is looking for a way for somebody else to win. Um, although that was a terrible category, 2011 Best Supporting yes, it Actor. Was. Like, the plumber winning for beginners is actually fine because nobody else in that category probably deserved it. But uh, nine, 99 is interesting in that. I don't think there's a year in recent memory where the gulf between what we thought the story of those nominees was then to what we think it is now, where like American Beauty at the time was not seen as a problematic winner, was not seen as a compromise winner, was not seen as an unworthy winner. It was the complete sensation. It was the edgy, that was the edgy movie that year of those nominees. It felt like things were changing because American Beauty could win Best Picture. Exactly. Like a serious adult drama, even though like... A serious adult drama with a lot of comedy and a lot of controversy to it and a lot of you know the culmination of a lot of things that i think movies that were actually much edgier in the 90s were talking about we talked i think a little bit about this when we did the ice storm that like you know domesticity and like the veneer of like what was bullshit about like um, the way we live in america in like you know the nuclear unit like there was a lot of movies about that in the 90s so it's like American Beauty, for some reason, was the culmination of that. Yes. And and if you look yes. at what it was nominated against, we're like, at the time, the Green Mile was thought of, at the time, sort of what we think about it today, which was very traditional, very sentimental. A lot of people, even at the time, were like, why is this nominated for Best Picture? Weren't there a lot of better options for this slot? Back uh, even back then, people thought that the insider was definitely a critic critical darling. The cider house rules then was seen very much as Harvey Weinstein pressing his thumbs on the scales. I do stay I I stick up for the cider house rules a lot more than most people, even though it is very sentimental and sort of. Um, ho- I think there's good stuff in. That I think movie. there's very good stuff in that movie. I I I really I enjoyed it at the time, and I think the sixth sense. Is I mean, Shyamalan, Shyamalan's career goes a lot of places, but I don't think you'd find too many people who would say that The Sixth Sense wasn't one of his Worthy. best movies, if not his best movie. And I think The Sixth Sense was seen in a lot of ways similar to American Beauty as, isn't it cool that this thing got a Best Picture nomination? It's a horror movie. It's a populist movie. It was sort of the, that was the it's money the, maker It only that happens for that movie, even with like what a story it was and how much money it makes. It only happens when movies like Random Hearts that actually have the prestige fall away. Yes, I think that's true. I think, I also think, do you think The Sixth Sense, how much do you think The Sixth Sense benefited from The Blair Witch Project? Oh, that's actually really interesting because The Blair Witch Project is was a very ultimately divisive horror movie that made a lot of money. But it was a huge success. It was never going to be an Oscar nominee. And then almost like it was only like a Both month or them, two like, later, right? Both of them were like, organic successes like that, you know, right. and then this, truly were like grassroots, like people connecting to something about what that movie offered. And you could write about them both in tandem as the two big mm-hmm. summer horror successes. But The Sixth Sense looked so much more Oscar-y by comparison to The Blair Witch Project. The Sixth Sense had stars. The Sixth Sense had... A dr- that twist, which like 
we haven't had like a story about like a narrative like, it had unexpected turn right. since the 60s. it had ghosts instead of witches it had it had cinematography and production style that looked so much more it had children crying right i think it and, and i think when you stacked those two next to each other as sort of this tandem story all of a sudden it's not you're not comparing the sixth sense to the hurricane which is a you know biopic of import you're comparing it to a movie like Blair Witch which is never going to happen and it all of a sudden looks so much more acceptable in you know amongst the mainstream that way so Mm -hmm. I don't know that's my TED talk did we find (laughs) out about Michael Mann and Best Director? Yes it's his only Best Director nomination he had three nominations for The Insider and was since later nominated in Best Picture for Producing, but yeah, it's his only directing For producing what? It was for producing The Aviator. Okay. That's interesting. Cool. Good for him. Good for him. I'm like that Lucille Bluth. Good for, good for I'm her. I'm that Lucille Bluth gif. Good for her. One of my favorite current gifs going around. So yes. what else? Did uh, we have anything else to say as we round about the hour mark? Um, about Random Hearts about this year. Did you? What else about uh, ninety nine? Did you want to say ninety nine at the Oscars? Ninety nine, like for whatever reason, is like the one that constantly like swirls around. I think ninety nine is kind of this pivot point, at least for the Oscars, of getting some like much cooler things like edging its way in, like being John Malkovich, for example. Like if that was a ten field nominations of best picture being john malkovich would be a best picture nominee and that is cool let's play this game i love this game i know we've played it a lot but like so this if this category extends to 10 i think you're right about malkovich i think the hurricane definitely makes it uh yes probably talented mr Ripley. probably talented mr ripley because that got how many total nominations it got five um, total. Just a lot below the line. Plus an acting nomination, plus a screenplay nomination. Yeah. So yeah, so that I think those are three. Do you think Topsy Turvy makes it as the token British critical fave? I mean, when you have talented Mr. Ripley as the quasi British essentially because you have Anthony Minghella right. and a lot of like British produ- maybe maybe not I mean uh, probably I think more so I'm like thinking about like the other nomination field and what is the real bummer is I think even though you have multiple wins by the Matrix I still don't think that their mindset was at like at the point that they would have nominated the Matrix for Best Picture. I agree with you, except that like it won Best Editing, and I know that like other movies have won Best Editing without. Best I Picture think it's nominated. just a different thing. I think I don't know. Like yeah. that movie was revolutionary for that, but like they were not ready to go for. I'm inclined the... to agree with you, but then what? What beats it? Because we're looking at Magnolia. You think so? Yeah. Interesting. I don't. I think I w- acting nominations, screenplay nominations. Uh-huh. No, I'm with you there. That just... It had to have been close to some stuff below the line, like editing. That's possible. I also think a movie like Boys Don't Cry has a shot. Yes. Where, again, not a whole lot of total nominations. It's only two nominations were for Swank and for Chloe Sevigny. But I think that's your classic low nomination total. 
but a great grabby story and a great grabby Oscar narrative, I think that makes it. The same argument you said for potentially Monster getting yeah. one in a field of ten? Yeah. I think if there would be an associated acting nomination, I think it could have been election. Oh, interesting. But like just having that screenplay nominee yeah. doesn't tell me that. So, yeah, I, I think it would be Ripley... Um, Malkovich. Malkovich. I think Matrix. I think Topsy Turvy. And I think uh, Boys Don't Cry. Um, I'll go with you on Boys Don't Cry, but I will say Magnolia and. Magnolia over Matrix. For you. Yeah. Yes. And what else did I say? I think you agreed with me on Ripley. I think you might have agreed with me on. Well, you definitely agreed with me on Malkovich, or I agreed with you. Um, and then Topsy Turvy, I don't know. You were. You were waffling on top of I time. wonder about Toy Story 2 oh, like in the way that yeah. like we were closer to uh, animated movies yeah because like I think the first Toy Story would be also probably in a lineup of yeah you look at you look at what the what the top 10 opened up for in terms of animated movies that's actually not a bad yeah. although it would have been a Bummer. No, it would have beaten Tarzan. I, I look at that Tarzan win for best song, and I'm like, ugh, we probably would have given it to Tarzan. That would have been an interesting year for an animated feature category, because you would have Toy Story 2, Tarzan, South Park. South Park. And, God, yeah, that would have been very... And then whatever other two sort of... Well, wait, 99? Was there a Miyazaki movie in 99? Or Princess Mononoke was before this, right? Yes. I think Mononoke was 98, maybe? Or 97, even. Yeah. This is the episode. Of looking looking shit up. Yeah, totally. I'm fine with it. I'm happy with it. God, animation did not have the breadth that it has right now. You look at the top of any year in the 2010s, box office-wise, like, there is so much animation in that top 20. Yeah. Yeah, you really have to go down. I'm, like, already in, like the low half of the top 100 before I'm even finding like Doug's first movie number 85 <laughs> of the box office <laughs> like would have probably been a contender I don't know if it makes it but I'm sure you would have had something from you know people talking about it right 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 yeah interesting wild yeah all right anyway Anything else before we... Here, yes. to bring it back to Random Hearts a little bit. <laughs> yes, please. We don't talk about box office a ton, but I think its box office debut kind of, like, sells the story of why, like, especially even audiences and, like, what fails about this movie. Yeah. It opened number two against the returning number one movie, big hit that we have discussed here, Double Jeopardy. And meanwhile, yes. this is while American Beauty was, like, becoming an immediate sensation. Like, it was the fourth week of American Beauty. It finally hit wide release on this weekend that Random Hearts opened. And so where was American Beauty on the top five? Number four. Number four. Good for that. Um, So it's, like, it's in the middle of, like, Double Jeopardy, which is, like, a thriller um, that, like, audiences love and that I think does, like, those elements quite successfully. And then American Beauty, which is, like, a... or at least sold as this sexually frank, um, like, relationship discussion. And, like, those were the two things that Random Hearts was sold as, and then it failed. Yeah. So it's like, while Double Jeopardy, as we've discussed on our Double Jeopardy episode, was not the Oscar success, it's like you can see how 
random hearts got eclipsed by those Absolutely. things just in like the sense of the public consciousness Absolutely. and how it could die so quickly. um princess mononoke was 1999 so think about that as a best animated feature year toy story 2 south park bigger longer and uncut princess mononoke tarzan because that's the like popular one and then like throw in pokemon or fucking doug but like that's a, one of the all-time that's one of your all-time best animated categories just from that top three was Princess Mononoke 99? I'm Why looking at it. Maybe you say that it opens in December of 97 in the US. I don't know. I'm looking at Box Office Mojo and it says October 29th, 1999. Yeah, that's weird. It has it at the 99 TIFF. There's got to be some weird shit Very going on. Very much so. You could imagine a scenario, though, this doesn't really ever shake out exactly this way in an animated feature where, like, Toy Story 2 could be a Best Picture nominee and Mononoke could be the animated feature winner. That probably might not happen, but, like, Spirited Away won. It did. But I don't think it had a Pixar movie against it. Right? Or it had the bad Pixar movie against it, was it? Well, now we gotta look that up. Hold on yeah. a second. <laughs> uh, was it nominated against Cars? Hold on. No, 2001. What Pixar 2000, movie no, was Cars that? wasn't until, like, 2006, right? Yeah, 2002 yeah, yeah. was, like, Brother Bear. It was, um... No, Brother Bear was 2003. Spirited Away beat out Ice Age, which was Fox. Lilo and Stitch, which was Disney but not Pixar. Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron, which was DreamWorks. And then Treasure Planet, which was also Disney but not Pixar. Yeah. So, yeah. So, there was no... It came in between Monsters, Inc. and Finding Nemo. It had the, like, that was the year it sort of slid into. And all of those, aside from Ice Age, were considered financial disappointments and failures. And, like, Ice Age is garbage. Yeah, Ice Age was never going to win an Oscar. So, yeah, super happy that Spirited Away was able to do that. But, yeah, I'm very much down for a retroactive 1999 Best Animated Feature category. It's it's wild that Pixar didn't win an animated feature Oscar until the third year of the category. Even though it, like, essentially was created for it. And uh, Shrek. I know. That's what I mean. The Shrek the effect. The Shrek effect. The Shrek of it all. All right. We want to move on to an IMDb game? Yeah. Let's do the IMDb Perhaps. game. Perhaps. The one I picked, all right. might, we might have done before. So let do me Do you know. want to explain the IMDb hey, game to why our not? listeners? Uh, we end every episode playing something we call the IMDb game. Only we call it this. No, I'm kidding. We each pick actors and quiz each other on whether we know the movies that show up when you look them up on IMDb under their known for section. So the movies that IMDb has decided are the four that you would most know them for. Of course, the IMDb algorithm is capricious and tricky, so it's very hard to predict, which is what makes the game fun. We give uh, each of us get up to two wrong guesses, and after two wrong guesses, then we get the years that the movies are from in the form of a hint. And if we get it wrong from there, it becomes a cavalcade of hints because that's what's fun for us and for you guys. We will promise to inform the other person that we're quizzing if any of the roles in the known four are for television work or voiceover work, which is only fair. And we try to steer clear of actors who are heavy in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Harry Potter because we don't want them to get clogged up with gunk, as they're known for as tend to do when you are in those movies. So, Chris... Did you want to give or take? First step, first question. 
You know what? I will go ahead and take. I've been giving for the first few okay. times lately. Tell me if we've done this person before, because it seems crazy that we haven't, and yet I'm looking at her known for, and I mm, doesn't ring a bell. Um, I went with a Sidney Pollock connected actor. We mentioned that The Interpreter was his movie after Random Hearts, and that was the last regular feature narrative film that he had directed. One of the co-stars of that movie gets a thankless role. It is Catherine Keener. Have we done Catherine Keener before? Um, I don't think we have. I thought you were going to say Nicole Kidman, who, shockingly, we have not done Nicole Kidman. Um, But no, we have not done Catherine Keener. All right. Do it then. Catherine Keener. Catherine Keener, get out. Correct. All right. Um, Get out. Being John Malkovich. Yes. God, you're going to go four for oh. four. Get out, I thought, was the hard one. Uh, Capote? Yep. Um, you did not seriously think that Get Out was going to be the hard one. Yeah, because she was so absent from that press tour, I sometimes forget that she, like, when I think of the people in Get Out, she's, like, not one of the top five I think of, even though I think she's fantastic in it. Um, you know, who's not fantastic in that movie? Caleb Landry Jones! He's exactly what the movie needs him to be. Absolutely not. He sticks out like a sore he's thumb. He's great. Um, uh... Catherine Keener, TV? No. Is there any TV? No TV. No no, uh, Show Me a Hero, even though she's fucking great in that. um, mm. She's also great in Forever. Did you watch Forever on Amazon? She's great in everything. Uh, No, I did not. Um, uh, Is it the 40-year-old virgin? Four for four, as I expected. Four for four! You You know... Oh, God, I love her. I love her. Um, A Nicole Hollis Center movie... 1,000% 1,000% needs to be Absolutely. On Which one, though? Um, I love Please Give. I, I feel like Please Give is the one that's forgotten. I think that's her best performance um, in a Hall of Center movie, is Please Give. I think that's my favorite Hall of Center. It's, it, I like it even more than Enough It Set. really has the most to say, even though I think Hall of Center does sort of sign herself up for problematic takes on her sometimes in terms of... Uh, sort of blinkered perspective and materialism, but, like, I think that movie... I think it's really... I think it has the hardest needle to thread in a way that makes the movie itself not problematic dealing with some of these people. Um, I love that movie. Me too. Love Catherine Keener. Yeah. All right. right. So I have one for you. We're talking about Harrison Ford this uh, episode. One movie that I love him in that, like, maybe I just love the movie more than him. But, like, this could have maybe they could have pulled some type of narrative to get him nominated for this movie. It is popcorn junk. It is Air Force One, (gasps) the main villain in Air Force One. Gary Oldman. Your IMDb game challenge is Gary Oldman. He's an interesting one because his career has sort of gone in phases. Yes. And for a while, one of those phases was like underappreciated supporting actor, which is very tough to do. IMDb wise. Okay. Um, well, one of them's got to be Darkest Hour. Darkest Hour is on there. Is Oscar, Oscar win. Okay. I'm going to guess this. You're going to say it's wrong and I'm going to be sad. Is it Bram Stoker's Dracula? We are both going to be sad that it's not on there. His greatest, His greatest performance, performance. So, so good. In a movie that we both fully are like in the tank for because we are what? Homosexual. Is one of them Air Force One? It's not on there. 
No, Air Force One is not wow, on there. Okay. So that's two wrong guesses. You're going to get the years. Um, your years are 1986, 2008, and 2011. 2011 is Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy? Tinker Tailor Soldier Snooze, yes. <laughs> I, I kind of like that movie. 2008, you say? Yes. Ugh, all right, Gary. Mm. What? This is. I think this is pretty easy. Really? I don't think Gary Oldman's that difficult. He says, after getting four in a row, and I got two strikes out of my first three. So yeah, I'm yes, going to tell you what these are, and you're going to be like, be this like, is yeah. so easy, Joe, that you're struggling on so this mo- Okay, 2008 is, is not 80, wait, about... Wait, 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 wait. I don't need your help yet. 86 is Sid and Nancy? Yes, it is. All right. 2008. 2008 is not about Gary Oldman. It is about this movie. I assumed as much because I don't think he was really headlining stuff at this point. I don't think we've done a lot of these performers from this movie, but I would be willing to bet every every name that is on this poster has this movie in their top four or they're known for. Oh, it's The Dark Knight. It is 9,000% The Dark Knight. He's great in that movie. He's genuinely... I would have given him an Oscar nomination for that movie. He's really good. Yeah, he... The, like, final 15 minutes of that movie, I think he deserves a lot more credit for making that movie work, even though we feel problematic things about Gary Oldman. Like, he is always removed from the narrative of that movie. Yes. But, like, do we really want to talk more about The Dark Knight? But, yeah, The Dark Knight, (laughs) like, in terms of IMDb, it is, like, the IMDb-est movie. I I insulate myself from Reddit so much and I think I've I keep my Twitter so pristine that I think I I ne- I don't realize how much people who are shitheads talk about The Dark Knight and love The Dark Knight. So I feel like sometimes I'm like we kind of don't talk about that movie anymore, which is a crazy thing to say, I realize if you, you know, are in any way exposed to that sort of fanboy barrage. I'm just not. I have just been very good at keeping it out. So the shit that I feel like aggressed by is like, why is everybody talking about Ariana Grande again? And it's because I have pruned my social media exposure so selectively to gay men in their 20s and 30s (laughs) that I'm just like, shut the fuck up with your goddamn Marianne Williamson jokes. I'm so fucking sick of them. I'm so oppressed by that. But it's However, like... at the time of this episode, I am sure that like the gay conversation right now is moving exclusively towards Jack Rayner's penis in Midsummer. <laughs> well, we'll see. That is the should. conversation you are pivoting towards as we hit the midpoint of summer, but yes. Cool for the summer. <laughs> All right. So as Jack ever, Chris man. destroys the IMDb game. Joe struggles to scrape away with four. In fairness, you gave me a character actress in her 50s. <laughs> and I gave you a heterosexual male actor in his 60s. Very fair. All right. That's all. That's all I got. That's all. That's all we got for Random Hearts. Bad movie, you guys. Yeah, don't watch it. 
It's I hope that like sometimes like you always hope that our listeners like uh, are following along and might like try to watch the movie like last week for Frankie and Johnny. I hope listeners watched that movie. I, I genuinely know. would feel very guilty if any of you gave two hours and 13 minutes of your time to Random Hearts. And I now want to scour all of these 1999 retrospectives and podcasts and whatnot that are all covering all the movies of 99 to see which ones actually acknowledge this movie and talk this about is, it and, and see This it. is precisely who we are. When everybody talks about 99 to talk about The Matrix and The Sixth yep. Sense and American Beauty and Fight Club, bitch, we are talking about Random Hearts. Yeah, we take that bullet for y'all. You guys need to respect that. And, and honor that. I think our listeners because... do. What's that? I think our listeners do. Oh, was I being too confrontational? Thank no. you, listeners, for respecting that about <laughs> us. We really appreciate it. We love you guys. That's we our episode. Bye. If you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. Do you it. should also follow our Twitter account. Do it at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Do that too. Joe, tell our listeners where they can find you and your stuff. Sure. I'm on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. I'm on Letterboxd, which is spelled the exact same Joe Reed. And again, I do promise to update it at some point. I'm very sorry. I'm very busy. Booked and busy. Booked and busy. Too booked and busy for Letterboxd. I am also on Twitter at Chris V. File, also Letterbox at Chris V. File, that's F-E-I-L. Um, I keep a running list on Letterbox that has direct links to our This Had Oscar Buzz episodes and IMDb game stats. You can also find me regularly at the Film Experience. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So please, please make us as unmissable as Harrison Ford's goddamn earring. Uh, that's all for this week, and we hope you come back next week for more buzz and less earrings. Everyone's a winner, baby. That's so loud. You never fail to satisfy.